Do you love what you hear on the podcast? Please go to Buy a Cup of Coffee. The Radio Horror link is in the show notes, or it's on top of the Twitter page. Or you can just go to buymeacupofcoffee.com backslash Radio Horror. And you can help support Goth Girl Horror and the other podcasts here on the Radio Horror Network. Donations go towards cloud service and new equipment. Thank you. of the new year 2021 here on the Dead TV Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And we are continuing our coverage into 2021 of the War of the Worlds television show. And I found the promos for the War of the Worlds seasons 1 and 2, not exactly cut, you know, kind of together in one giant video on YouTube. Excellent. So hopefully we'll have every episode of the uh, TV show that we cover with the promo with the cool over, you know, the uh, narration as the guy does or whatever, with the human brains and stuff like that, which is... Uh, yeah, just like we did for Friday the 13th of the series. Right. Mrs. Zeneca has the plot synopsis for us for episode 9, To Heal the Leaper. <laughs> the Leper. The Leper, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Season 1, episode 9, To Heal the Leper. Originally aired November 21st, 1988. The Martians encounter another human disease, chickenpox, which is crippling their invasion plans. They decide by harvesting human brains so that they can produce a cure that will put the invasion back on track. Harrison's team raced against time to stop them from completing their project. Chicken pox? <laughs> I know! It kind of comes out of the blue right there. So, Blackwood is speaking, and it's like Blackwood's over, over your voice. He's going to, you know, it's his narration in the beginning of the darkness. Yes, because basically what they did is they took that phrase from the end of the episode and put it at the beginning with a black background in order to create a foreboding ambiance. So the morgue operator at the very beginning, played by Philip Williams, who was in The Hardy Boys in 2020. I didn't know there was a new Hardy Wait, there was a new Hardy Boys this year? I don't know. According to IMDb, there was a brand new Hardy Boys. Yeah, and he was also an Anne with an E. Oh, yeah, it was on Hulu. Argo TV series. When the Hardy Boys, Frank and Joe, and their father, Frank, arrived in Bridgeport, they set up to recover the truth behind the recent tragedy that changed their lives, and doing so, uncovered something more sinister. So it's just like every other mystery drama. I mean, that's what the Hardy Boys do. Right, but I didn't realize it, was, it had something to do with something sinister. I kind of want to watch this. I grew up, I grew up reading the Hardy Boys. We're going to become the Hardy Boys podcast. Anyway, so this guy's doing no. a lot of stuff. He's in uh, Max Payne, Gorilla Hunting, and Tommy Boys. That, I'm sorry, but I grew up watching the Hardy Boys. To find out there's a Hardy Boys TV series I had no idea about, I got I got sidetracked very easily. So, <laughs> Well, I will tell you that the three advocates... You're talking about the aliens? Yes, the human bodies that they inhabited when they did the ceremony at the very end. The character names are Scott, Beth, and Leo, I believe. Yes. And all three of those actors 
were also on the television show Kung Fu The Legend Can Taste. I thought you were gonna, I thought you were about to tell me that the, all three of them were on Sons of Anarchy because Kim Coates was one of the main characters on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, so not all three of them were on that show, but all three of those people were actually on Kung Fu The Legend Continues. Interesting. Kim Coates was also a goon and Resident Evil Afterlife and Battle for Earth. He's had a long career, but a lot of people mostly know him as from FX series Sons of Anarchy as one of the main bikers. Tig. Huge career. Yes. He's on Miami and Prison Break also. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So the advocates, by the way, we get to see their arms. They're usually just in the giant costumes the entire time with the voiceover being done in post. Mm-hmm. And we get to see them using their arms. We also get to see one of the aliens, like, tied to, like, the bed as they're trying to help one of the advocates. Yeah. Kind of a question rose in my head about this episode is that the three top people of the alien side, the three council members, the, the advocates, they leave to do this little adventure on their own, and they don't take any other aliens with them when they're cracking open brains and gathering them for this cure and stealing an RV and killing people along the way, etc., etc. None of the other aliens are with them, so they have no support system. And I'm just wondering, like, why, why would you do that? Is it to not risk getting chickenpox to the rest of the alien staff, or just that they have to do this alone? Blackwood and Iron Horse go to visit Sylvia. We get Anne Robinson returning. I think this is her second only episode that she's in for the entire show. Yes, and when we see her, she is uncharacteristically calm. She hears no voices because the aliens, their transmissions were interrupted because one of them got chickenpox. Yes, interesting. So she feels like the aliens have possibly left. And, of course, Iron Horse believes that as well. But every five minutes, he thinks the aliens are not involved in whatever the plot line is. He's constantly the skeptic, despite the fact of what he has seen. It makes no sense. Yes. And in this episode, Harrison both says that Sylvia is right and then says Sylvia is wrong because Harrison really, really wants the aliens to constantly be his threat. So even though there's the idea that the aliens are gone because Sylvia's connection has been severed, the proof that they are back kind of makes Harrison a little bit happy. The aliens doing what they do in this episode is probably the most disgusting thing possible. They're scooping people's brains out and eating them. Now, the brains we see in this episode, when they're rolling along or being poured into something, like they're poured into the giant funnel, they're bouncing a lot. Brains. Yeah, they're very plastic. (laughs) Brains do not do that. They go squish. (laughs) Yes, they're very mushy. And the way that the aliens actually operate this machine is that apparently they put the brains inside a giant upside-down pyramid and extract the brain essence, as if that's something, from these brains in order to feed the diseased uh, alien member. The disease that is ravaging her body is supposed to be chickenpox, but yet the body itself is aging and the previous illness that they were in the suits protecting themselves from is radiation poisoning. So they were just kind of all over the map as to what exactly is going on with this alien. Do we have a cure for leprosy? We do. Leprosy is otherwise known as Hansen's disease. Right. And it's, and it's caused by a bacteria called Bacteria Mycobacterium leprae or Bacteria Microbacterium lepromatosis. And so it's basically a combination of antibiotics that you take. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8 and chapter 10, they're talking about Jesus healing the leper and doing it by laying on hands and whatnot. 
And that was specifically forbidden in the book of Leviticus. So Jesus actually doing this was something very uncharacteristic and he even told the leper, don't tell anyone that I did this for you. But of course, Luke and Matthew spread the word and then Jesus couldn't actually get a moment alone to himself. I am reminded of an episode of the X-Files. Scully is investigating something to do with aliens and comes across a leopard colony. And mm-hmm. the, all the lepers, and a leper shows her, like, the, like the music is, like, really sad as the leper shows her the pits just filled with lepers, dead leper bodies. And then yeah. the men in, and then the men in black run by the syndicate, you know, the people behind the alien conspiracy show up or whatever, kill him, kill all the other lepers, but take Scully to give her the answer she needs to help all the because in, in the United States, we do have about 200 cases per year of leprosy or Seriously? Hansen's disease. Holy that comes shit. Up. From yeah, what? Yeah, 200 cases. From where? Are these foreigners coming over here? Are, we actual, are actual Americans getting it? No. Well, they are Americans getting it, but it's a bacterium. So things do actually come up occasionally. Leprosy, you get cured. You have a series of antibiotics for a long period of time. If you don't know about leprosy, one of the main traits of it is that your skin will start to tingle and then get numb. And then once your skin starts to get numb, it starts to go gray, and you start to lose the the feeling and sensation in in parts of your body, and then pieces start to fall off. You have, like, these scaly patches of red all over your chest and back. Pretty nasty stuff. I think on – what was the name of Daenerys' right-hand guy, Johan? Oh, yes, he had the stone skin. Yes, very similar. I think it was actually based off of leprosy. We also have this episode uh, playing just old man. He's done old man before. He's done old man before. He's played old man before in a previous episode. He's also old man in Adventures in Babysitting. We have John D, and he's old man in Thy Kingdom Come, and then he plays a mailman in Bleeding Ground coming up in, in another episode. Because I believe, I think you said this episode it takes place in 1988, December? Yeah. Yeah, so, and then next year he's in another episode. So I thought that was funny. This guy has played old man multiple times. Old man, old man. Which one of these act- Which one of these characters was Teen Queen? I don't recall. There's a character in the credits listed as Teen Queen, and she's played by Krista Bridge, and she's been in the Left Behind movies, House at the End of the Road, Dark, Land of the Dead. I don't know. That might have been a background character. Because we don't get to like the teen characters until like I think the next episode, and. and Susan's daughter's in the next episode. We already know who she is. I didn't understand who the Teen Queen character was when I was looking up who was in the episode. I also don't know who was uh, known by the name Desk Honey. Was there a beautiful woman in this episode? Elizabeth Leslie, her name of the actress, and played the role of Desk Honey. Again, in the next episode, we have more of like a corporate background coming up. I I know, I know. Maybe these people are miscategorized. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's a mistake on IMDb, because, again, we, we death cutting? Yeah, that would make more sense in the next episode, because it has a very corporate structure to it. Yeah. And this is the 80s, that's what you call a woman today, no, that would get you fired, or sent to HR. One of the things that kind of makes me question, from this episode into the next one, it seems that all the lower-level aliens can jump bodies, like it's no big deal. They can just jump into a body, take it over, run it out its usefulness, and jump to the next body. These advocates don't really seem to be able to do that. We don't see any other aliens in this episode besides the advocates. It's like these three. That's it, right? Yeah, because they, they leave at the very beginning. So we might have seen someone passing in the very beginning. 
but it's just them three for the rest of the episode until the very end. And then they're, like, again, back in their robes of... You know, yeah, they're, they're protective suits. King of the Wicker People, I like to call them, from the Batman movie, which is literally, if you see the Batman movie, there's a scene where Alex Knox and Vicky Vale are walking through Bruce Wayne's uh, mansion, and he comes across a giant statue of something that looks like one of the aliens, or they look like a villain from Super Mario Brothers. I said Shy Guys, but somebody corrected me in the group saying, no, I know what you're talking about. I think they're Shy Guys, too, and I know what you're talking about because they also look exactly like the characters that show up in the Super Mario Brothers movie, but they literally wear the same kind of costume that you see, the gas mask and all the tubes and everything like that. What I'm trying to figure out what Sylvia is drawing, too, by the way. Oh, the, the drawing on the wall? Yeah, that uh, Norton finds yep. on the computer. Yeah, Sylvia drew a triangle with two electric bolts through it. That's the same symbol as the Linden Power Plant, where the aliens are basically trying to siphon off the power to run their machine to heal the advocate. By the way, there is one other alien. He's called Attending Alien. Oh, that must be the one in the very beginning. Okay, yeah. He's passed away, but his career, he, he was born in 1937. I, I just want to point out, he probably holds the distinction, and kudos to him, as being the first actor to ever play Loki, brother of Thor, in a Marvel cartoon. And that actor's name is Len Carlson. Yes. He was also Senator Robert Kelly in the uh, X-Men animated series of the 90s, which we've talked about numerous times. He was on Swamp Thing, which, uh, which we did not cover. We covered the cartoon. No, this is the Swamp Thing cartoon we covered. He was the voice of Swamp Thing. Really? Yeah, we did cover him. That's why his name looked familiar. I'm like... Wait a minute, we've talked about this guy before. That's right, we did the Swamping cartoon. <laughs> he was also on um, Alf and Cops and Police Academy. Oh, my God. RoboCop. Small World. Oh, he was also on Spider-Man, the animated series from the 1960s, the one by Ralph Bakshi, the one that has the Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. This guy has had a great career. <laughs> we should do another animated series sometime. We should. We yeah, should. we should. Short. Short, short. So, good. really short. Harrison is on this bug up his ass that he needs to do everything alone. He's with a team of people, and yet he is saying, I can do this by myself. I was just about to get the answer. Because he is meditating on the floor, looks like he just got into some sort of accident or whatnot, and there's so much incense in the room that it looked to Norton as if the room was on fire. That much incense in the room, sure, someone could pass out from smoke inhalation, and that's what they assumed happened. And they basically woke him out of his meditative state, and he's all in a huff, you know, I was just about to find the answer. As if his brain alone is the only one with the answer. So he goes off on his own. He doesn't say where he is, or where he's going, or what he's doing. He's just intent on getting to the bottom of this alien situation. Definitely not a team player. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense how independent he wanted to be. Maybe it has something to do with Sylvia and his connection to her. I don't know what it is, but big buck up his ass. He goes to the Linden Power Plant, and then he stops the aliens, and the alien triangle breaks down into a bunch of confetti over him and Susan, and kind of all is well that ends well. But I didn't quite remember seeing the aliens escape. But they're on the other side of the door trying to get in, and then uh, Iron Horse and Susan show up, and the aliens aren't there, and Iron Horse is all like, oh, there are no aliens, they're crazy. Yeah, he was skulking around, witnessing the ceremony of the healing of the alien, and Norton is, is seeing the transmissions suddenly appear, Sylvia's brain is tapped. She goes crazy again. So he's witnessing this ceremony where everything is turning on. Healing is happening. The stem cells from the brains, if that's what they're doing, the stem cells are going into the alien and they're working. 
And then after their, the path is clear, Harrison goes down to inspect their technology. Maybe he thought that he couldn't stop them by himself, but yet he insisted on being by himself. Something like that. I don't know. Kind of weird. That's all the notes I have for the leper episode. I keep saying leaper. The leper episode. We're going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo for another podcast. I haven't done that in a while. Mr. Zeneca will have some information about H.G. Wells. That person. And lepers. No, kidding. And famous Martians. No, that was my idea, folks. I wanted Mr. Zeneca to do famous Martians. We recover Marvin and John Jones, but she didn't want to do that. So no, just, I'm only going to do the focus areas on H.G. Wells until I run out of topics for him, and then then I might entertain your ideas for just doing, like, weird alien stuff. we got 40 episodes. I'm sure you're going to run out of topics. Try me. Try me. <laughs> try me here. When we come back, I will read a letter from a fan, and we will cover the next episode on the Dead TV Podcast. Today I'm going to talk about H.G. Wells' love life. Did you know that he was one of those famous artists that married his cousin? Yep, he did. It wasn't uncommon in the Victorian England era. However, his aunts didn't entirely approve of it, yet couldn't really stop it. Shocking by today's standards. I'll introduce her to the story in the words that H.G. Wells wrote in his autobiography. Quote, As Aunt Bella, Aunt Mary, and I sat talking, a dark-eyed girl of my own age, in the simple and pretty art dress that prevailed, came shyly into the room and stood looking at us. She had a grave and lovely face, very firmly modeled, broad brows, and a particularly beautiful mouth and chin and neck. This was my cousin Isabel, whom later I was to marry. H.G. Wells started college after getting a free ride scholarship to the Normal School of Science at age 18 in 1884. He lived with his aunts and cousin for the duration of his time there, so he said it was inevitable that his burgeoning sex drive got focused on his cousin. He was devoted to her and she to him. They loved each other, despite the fact that he was well-read and expansive with his ideas, while she was just a simple girl that never got, quote, inoculated with the germ of reading. Her world was just too small, so their conversations had a gap that was hard to communicate across. They had a long courtship, with a sexual frustration clear in his writing. He said, quote, I believed and said that a normal human being was not properly balanced physically and mentally without an active sexual life. I have never found any reason to change that opinion, unquote. They didn't go all the way together for many years. <laughs> he did get rid of his virginity to a prostitute. Isabel and H.D. were married in 1891. Their communication gap and sexual incompatibility only widened during their marriage. So they separated in 1894. In a letter to his mother, he admitted that it was entirely his fault. The reason for that? He had fallen in love with one of his students, a woman by the name of Amy Catherine Robbins, whom H.G. Wells called Jane. By 1893, Isabel was suspicious of this friendship that he had established with Jane. So when they separated in 1894, it was obvious that Jane was H.G.'s other woman. He moved in with Jane. He was also evicted with her when their landlady found out that they were not married and living in sin, college teacher and student. When they say, behind every great man is a woman, Jane was that woman for the up-and-coming writer. She was his sounding board, sub-editor, handled business fairs, and gave support for his creativity. Jane had a mind like his. She was also an independent woman power type of feminist. She was sexually free and they communicated well. His career started to take off after the publishing of The Time Machine. One thing I hear over and over is that H.G. Wells gets inspired when he enters a relationship. And that seems true. 
He was motivated by new relationship energy. His writing excelled when he was romantic and happy. A lot of that productive happiness was due to Jane's attitude towards sex and relationships. They married in 1895, and he wrote 12 books in five years afterwards. There is evidence of at least two loose women he dated while married at this time. Jane was cool with it, though. In 1900, they made an agreement to officially open their marriage. Both people were a little, quote, anxious for variety. He had a significant amount of lovers, and a few bore fruit. H.G. had two sons, George Philip and Frank Richard Wells. He also had a daughter with writer Amber Reeves, and a son, Anthony West, with Rebecca West, a feminist and novelist. To her credit, Jane was also cool about his children with other women. She's a better woman than I. She even sent baby shower gifts and other supportive gifts to the mothers. They had some rules, like any good open marriage, weekends belonged to Jane, and no overnight stays. All Jane really wanted was her husband's undivided attention when he was home, and that's all. He also had an on-again, off-again relationship with birth control activist Margaret Sanger. I mean, when you have a lot of lovers, being for birth control makes sense. H.D. Wells said that he enjoyed, quote, a cheerful, healthy, sexual go-as-you-please for mankind, and I was obliged to look jealousy in the face, unquote. Jane had her side people, too. H.G. Wells was a very prolific writer, and since his inspiration and motivation came from that inner feeling of sexual and romantic energy, it's apropos to hear that this specific genre of storytelling is called scientific romance. In fact, he was completely for free love, birth control, family planning, women's rights, and equal rights across the board. H.G. Wells believed that an evolved culture cannot suppress anyone into submission under another person. Everyone must be equal for us to evolve past the problems of society. He probably dropped a lot of panties just by telling women that he believed they are people deserving of all the rights that men have. In the stodgy Victorian era, that's a corset-ripping pickup line right there. If you use that line today, let me know how badly that worked out for you down in the comments. Good night, everyone. Next time on an all-new episode of War of the Worlds. Alien invaders strike again. Their mission, deliver the world's most deadly weapon. See right there. Need it. Into alien hands. There's a new finger on the nuclear trigger. Out. Now. The countdown to destruction is about to begin on an all-new episode of War of the World. Next week, Atomic Bomb Terror. I like that opening. T Atomic Bomb Terror for the Good Samaritan on the Dead TV Podcast. Season 1, Episode 10, The Good Samaritan, originally aired December 26, 1988. Suzanne does some unauthorized research on a new kind of grain that will grow in any climate. The billionaire who invented this wants to sell it to the world, thinking poorer countries will be given money by richer countries. But the aliens have run their own plans for the grain. After placing a new deadly poison inside the grain, they have taken over the body of the billionaire who suddenly offers it free to the world. Wow! I might have had somebody from the show on my radio show, the Radio of Heart, years ago. CJ Lesby, who plays, she's a stunt woman in the episode. But if you go on IMDb, there's a picture of a woman with her shirt riding up, tied down with the alien's tentacle arms around her. I'm not saying what I think it looks like, but I'm just saying I watch a lot of these type of cartoons. So I'm just saying what I think it looks like. <laughs> This is going to be the thumbnail I use for this episode when I post it, by the way, on social media. <laughs>
Go right ahead. Be as salacious as you want. I want to be as salacious as I want. She's still alive. I would love to reach out to her. I just have two months of IMDb Pro for free because I canceled my subscription. They're like, oh, no, we want you to come back. Here's two more months for free. Maybe she'd come on the show and talk about being a stunt woman on the show. She was also a stunt woman in Saw 3 and X-Men. Might have been why I had her on the show. This Good Samaritan opened up with the aliens taking over a diner and poisoning some kids who all wanted to order hamburgers, but the waitress convinces them to order soup. And the waitress is played by... The waitress is played by Molin Sai. Right, okay. And we also got that when we got the College Boy. We had College Boy 1, College Boy 2, and Cheerleader. But there were four people at the table, right? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, there were four people at the table, but they only listed three of them. One of them has only done this. The waitress was in Queer as Folk, The Sentinel, The Pacifier, and Down to Earth. Nothing I've seen other than Down to Earth. One of the two jocks is played by Darren Baker, who was in My Spy, which came out video on demand this year. And Andrew Gunn, maybe related to James Gunn, was in Sky High, which if you have never seen is pretty good. So Mengling Sai, you can actually see her on the TV show Dark Matter. She oh. played Empress Ishida. Oh, I have never watched that. Is that any good? I've only seen a couple episodes, but it's pretty good. Oh, okay. She's also in The Sentinel, Flashpoint, TV show called This is Wonderland. Huh. Um, and her career goes back to pretty much the 80s. And she was also on two episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. Who was she on that? She was in the episode Bad Penny as an anchor woman and in the episode Tattoo as Linda Chin. Oh, yes. Okay, now I do remember her. Then we have three characters uh, in this episode listed as Matron 1, 2, and 3. Oh, yeah, those are those, those old ladies that right. follow the assistants. Yes, okay. Then there was the hot blonde that they comment on in the when they're window when they're window shopping, and they call her a prostitute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For wanting to wear that, basically, which is kind of funny when you think about they're the aliens, you know, like. Slut shaming some woman for what she wants to wear, which is, you know, old people would do that to the young. This is not necessarily anything out of complete context. The old always look at the young as being, like, too promiscuous. Mm-hmm. It seems very strange the aliens to do that when we know these three old women are aliens. Yeah. Right? Am I, am I wrong? Does it seem like a little out of context for them to, you know, be 1980s-style slut shaming the young woman? So one question I have here is that the assistant wasn't that girl they were following, right? No. It's she two is, different people. This is this is a different person. The assistant is who Suzanne calls to be like, you have to stop it. I got the, you know, there's, there's some crap yeah, going yeah. on. So, so Mr. Mason, he was not only just with his wife, Joyce, he was also diddling his assistant, and then he also has the side piece, booty call chick, and then he also <laughs> wanted to get with Suzanne. <laughs> I love that you just said that. Booty call chef. You know, this guy, Alex Cord, who was our rich billionaire that Suzanne goes on the date with, which, by the way, I mean, the actress who plays Suzanne is beautiful regardless of what she's wearing in this episode. But in this episode, wow, that black dress. She's going to impress. Oh, my God. And, of course, we all know who this actor is from. Please tell me you watched this show in the 80s. Airwolf. Yes. Ah. The uh, experimental uh, helicopter that could do all sorts of cool stuff. That's the one I never watched. Oh, my God. Airwolf was so awesome. 
You I watch mean, A-Team a lot. All 79 episodes are available on DVD. Usually I always keep seeing it at Walmart for like 20, 30 bucks. Well, Alex Cord was also in Fantasy Island, and I watched that one. Ah, not as good as Airwolf. Airwolf Fantasy Island yeah. didn't have an awesome experimental helicopter that could do anything. <laughs> He was also in the love boat, and I watched that one, too. Uh, <laughs> the reason you have me on the show is that I haven't watched a lot of these shows. That's the whole purpose of this re-education, which, by the way, we said we were going to get to our letter. I want to get to our letter real quick before okay. I completely forget about it, and I went back and re-listened to all of your previous episodes whenever I could. I skipped some of the ones on if the topic of the episode was just too boring, because sometimes even the episodes of the TV show are that boring. I don't want to listen to a podcast talk about it. Totally makes sense. I completely agree. If there's a movie or a string of episodes of something I'm following, I might skip an episode of a podcast because it's like I don't like that movie or I don't like that episode. I'm not going to want to listen to a podcast about it. I do hope that you will cover some of the upcoming television shows that I had in mind for your show. You have mentioned many times that you're Marvel comic book fans. I hope maybe you'll cover Nightman and Blade. Probably not Nightman, but we definitely will cover Blade whenever Disney gets around to sticking that new Blade in theaters. So and that's looking at like 2022 right now because of the pandemic. I also hope that you will one day cover Scott in the Book of Pure Evil and Reaper. Yes, I want to cover both of those. Scott might be a little ways down the road, but we will definitely be covering Reaper because Reaper was so much fun. Yeah. Dr. Chris has convinced me that I need to watch Reaper. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Zeneca has not convinced me about her TV show just yet, but I might you know, I might make a compromise because she said I would definitely cover that show. You, you said you would cover Alienation. I would love to cover Alienation. And after you told me there's not that many episodes, it, I, I would definitely love to cover it. Okay. Uh, I might do Shelley Duvall's Fairytale Theater on my own then. As, a, as your own podcast? No, as... as Patreon content or something like that. Extra content for us for some reason. Oh, that might be interesting. If you want to listen to Mrs. Zeneca do her own thing, <laughs> subscribe to our non-existent Patreon page, which I haven't updated in a million years. I don't even know if it's still running. But if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee, you can. I set it up as buy us a slice of pizza, but you can make any type of donation you want to to buy me a cup of coffee. Radio Horror, buy me a cup of coffee. Just go to buy me a cup of coffee, type in Radio Horror, and you should come up with the link. There's no prizes. There's no anything. You just want to help the show. It's a thank you, basically. I don't know. For me, I'm doing a lot of research on H.G. Wells, reading his bibliography and stuff like that, so I don't have time to do the show at all thing right now, but that is on the agenda in the future because Dr. Chris won't do that show. I just, I, I watched one episode and I couldn't do it, folks. I just could not do it. <laughs> Back to the episode we are covering, though. Yes. <laughs> not so to break everyone's heart. <laughs> The person that plays Terry, the executive assistant, her name is Lori Hallier, and she was also on Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, <laughs> and Friday the 13th, the series. So, so basically there's a whole plot line of stopping world hunger, which is very admirable. Can that actually be done? Do you think we'll ever actually get there? Or would we won't be long dead by the time the world does, Mr. Zeneca? Currently, with today's production, we can actually feed the world. The problem is, is the desire to, because we can get resources to the right places if we were all working in tangent with one another, and countries all work together, and people's priorities were more in, along those lines. Physically, we have enough resources. They're just not getting to the people that need them, and there's just not the desire to really do that politically. Just like universal health care. 
I know. We totally need that, don't we? Your, your health care should not be tied to your work. He doesn't want to call the general about the aliens again. This, this, this is the worst written part of the show. This is why I would love to have had the actor on the show, but he doesn't want to do the podcast because he absolutely hated War of the Worlds, people. I know that to be fact because I got emails from his agent that told me that he does not like this show, so he'll never do the podcast. But I would love to have heard his side of things to find out how he felt about the general's attitude towards the aliens and being the scully of the show. Because that's what he is. He's basically scully. Yeah. But doesn't make any sense. This is the stupid writing of the show. That makes no fucking sense because we know he has encountered aliens. He knows the aliens are in the thousands. And there's sleeper cells now everywhere because because that entire town got away. They showed back up to that town, everyone was gone. And the aliens can asexually reproduce, which, by the way, brings up a question of, like, do you think the aliens would be into getting down and jigging with it? I'm not even sure they have the orifices for that. Right, but in the human bodies they do. I mean... Well, yeah, in human bodies they probably will experiment a little. That scene where the alien kills the cop while his face is melting was pretty fucking disgusting. Yeah. That was pretty gross. That was as gross as the previous episode with the alien sucking the fucking brains out or whatever. That reminded me of the giant bug aliens in Starship Troopers. Did you ever see Starship Troopers? Oh, yeah. Yes. You're like just like a giant uh, brain alien because it would take the tentacle thing out of its mouth, jam it right into Denise Richards' boyfriend's head, and just suck the brains out. Oh, my God, that was gross. (laughs) Man, people... I think Friday the 13th, when I tell them about that show, it's just like, well, I don't want to watch something scary like that. I'm like, Friday the 13th, the TV series, is pretty goddamn tamed to War of the Worlds. Don't you agree? I'd say so. I mean, there was a lot more murder, since we were we did actually run a murder account the entire Friday the 13th the series when we did those podcasts. I haven't decided to run up the total of murders for this one because it's just not consistent. No, it would be completely inconceivable. They already said 10,000 aliens got away. So guess what? 10,000 people are dead. Yeah, the aliens yeah. are the new are the 1980s COVID-19. <laughs> COVID-19 did not 300,000. COVID-19 did not come from China people. It came from outer space. It's the aliens. They're trying to wipe us all out. Don't you put those those ideas into listeners' heads. <laughs> Do you remember the gift that kept showing up when COVID first struck and it's from uh, Avengers Infinity War? Because it has to do with Avengers Infinity War, it has to do with aliens coming to Earth or whatever. And he says, Earth is closed. (laughs) True. Especially with this disease going around and being super contagious, these aliens would not stand a chance. And that's also why a lot of, and this ties to War of the Worlds. And not to make fun of anybody who thinks they were abducted by aliens, okay? I don't care. Hey, I met an alien. All right, yes, I believe that. I believe you met that person. Sorry, I do believe you met that person. I do not believe his story. And the reason why I say that, the reason I say that is because I spoke to a biologist, and a biologist, she told me that there is no way that aliens came to Earth to abduct people and left the planet. I'm like, why? She's like, there would be aliens, all these people who said that aliens came and abducted them, their bodies would be all over the planet. There's no way all of the bacteria and the disease that we have like War of the Worlds, those aliens are leaving. They get here, they're done. They're sick. They don't have the immunities. They don't have the ability to fight off what we've been able to fight off for thousands of years. Yeah, you have a point there. 
Susan's daughter, Debbie, has a thing for the mouse, and the mouse dies after eating the killer grain, which then Susan calls the secretary to warn her that this is going on. Yeah, yeah. So jealousy is brewing because Mr. Mason is just had. He wants to feed the world with this feed-the-world grain and give Suzanne no information on it, no reason of how it's become radiation tolerant, no information about its growing cycle, nothing. But during the tour that he gave her the next day, she managed to steal some. So she wasn't being watched over too carefully. You know, one of the women in this episode, Mickey Moore, who plays Joyce Mason. The wife. She has, like, her own website. Oh, cool. Yeah. She was also in, you mentioned uh, Kung Fu, but she was in one of my favorite movies, Short Circuit 2. Oh, love that. Short Circuit 1. I'm not sure if I saw Short Circuit 2. Gotcha. It's okay. This CEO is not one of those characters that you love by the end of the episode. No, he reminds me a lot of Maxwell Lord, if you saw Wonder Woman. The title of this episode, The Good Samaritan, for those that don't know what The Good Samaritan is, it's basically from the Gospel of Luke, uh, Chapter 10. There's a TV series on ABC right now, right? About an autistic kid who's a doctor? No, that's The Good Doctor. Oh, damn it. (laughs) Which is a great show. I fucked up my joke. Okay, go on. (laughs) So in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus uses the example of the Jew and the Samaritan who would not have ordinarily been friendly towards one another. So basically what happens is that he tells the story of a man who is traveling to Jerusalem, Jericho, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and was attacked by robbers. He was beaten nearly within an inch of his life. The first person to pass him by was a priest. He just prayed for the guy and kept on walking. The second one was a man from Levet, which was a priest's assistant. And he crossed the road to avoid him and did not help the man. The third person was a Samaritan. So it's a person from Samaria. And Samarians hated Jews and vice versa. So when the Samaritan saw the man, he took pity on him. He bandaged him, cleaned his wounds, and then put him on the back of his donkey and took him to an inn and then paid for his night's sleep. And he looked after him. So Jesus gives the story to say that you should love thy neighbor like yourself. You know, that's kind of the point of Matthew's gospel is to, like, love thy neighbor as yourself. So even if these two people who normally would hate each other can actually get along and support one another, that's what the world needs. And in this episode, the Good Samaritan is our crew of, of alien researchers because there's not one person that stops the grain from being spread all over the world and killing people. It's this entire team. Hmm, interesting. By the way, I just emailed uh, Mickey Moore to ask her to come on the show. Oh, awesome. She is, by the way, on this website, she is like, she is beautiful in this episode. She is still very beautiful on her website, which is updated as of 2020. So it's still active. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Always look for the copyright of, an, of a website, by the way. If it's like 10 years out of date, no one's answering that website. Yeah. <laughs> I have learned that to be fact. <laughs> Harrison so, nearly gets grabbed. Yeah, Harrison nearly gets grabbed. What's funny is the aliens could take both Harrison and Iron Horse, but they run away. It's like, sorry, the one alien, the one that jumps in the water, the one that yells out, Life Immortal! Ah! I guess in water to kill aliens? Aliens are no, I, I, I wicked witch of the West. I think he actually got away. He jumped into the water, but I think the alien got away. Oh, okay. You know, I, I think the aliens wear the people like you wear coats, because the way they're able to come out of people's bodies so easily, it makes me think like you're, they're wearing, like, a costume over themselves. You know what I'm saying? We've seen these aliens kick some ass and take out a bunch of people. There's no reason why this alien can't take out Harrison and Iron Horse. 
other than the way the show is written because we can't kill off our two main characters. Because then what do we got? Susan and Norton? What type of show would that be? I don't know. Without Harrison being a whiny bitch all the time. By the way, they get stuff done. We learned something about Norton in this episode. Yes, that he's never had function of his legs. Which doesn't unfortunately make a lot of sense for the actor playing him, because then his legs would be completely and utterly atrophied, right? Not necessarily. If a person that is paralyzed or whatnot maintains physical therapy, you know, the movement of the muscles will help stop the atrophying of the muscle. Oh, okay. So if it's taking time and moving the legs and giving them exercise, it will maintain your body mass. Well, the only reason I mention that is because I know a couple of people have been in a wheelchair. Their legs look, you know, perfectly fine, very healthy. But if you remember, like, the movie Avatar... The main character in that, the one that, uh, you know, the Jacob, his legs are, like, completely shriveled up. Oh, he didn't do any exercises. He didn't do any therapy. Yeah, that just always wondered me. I'm like, oh, that must be really uncomfortable or something. Electrostimulation, stuff like that, can help the muscles maintain muscle tone. Since he has never had function of his legs, more than likely it's just birth defect of some sort. One of the other actors in this episode, George Cash, he was in the movie Red. There's somebody else on the board at the board meeting, I can't figure out their name. I'm not coming up with their IMDb, but did you recognize one of the board members? He was like the older gentleman. I saw him, but I did not recognize him, and he's not on the IMDb, so I couldn't pull him up. So, but that's all the notes I have here for the episode. Yeah, that's all the notes I have. Uh, there's poisonous grain going out, three freighters full, but it's going to get stopped and confiscated because now they know it's poison. The mouse dies. It reminds me of the monkey in Indiana Jones and the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That yeah, the poison dates. That dates. Wow, he still looks, he look, He really does look like uh, Norton compared to his, like, younger photo, which Google puts next to his older photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just gray hair. <laughs> he kept his hair, like, the same, very incredibly short. I would love to have him on because I'm a huge fan of the X-Men animated series of the 90s and he was the African-American time-traveling bounty hunter for the future, Bishop. Oh, that'd be great, yeah. Oh, such a huge fan of that. And he was also in P2, which is fantastic, about a girl trapped in a parking garage. Okay. While her killer kind of stalks her, if you've ever seen it. No? I have I have not seen it, but I have heard of it, and I had wanted to see it at the time, but never got around to it. Make sure you can send us an email, thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to check out the other episodes of the podcast we have ever done before. I listened to the shows coming up that we might be covering. We're still too far away from any of those shows right now, so we're on War of the Worlds for quite some time. Hopefully 2021 is great for everybody. How was your Christmas and New Year's, Mr. Zeneca? Because your New Year's Eve would be after we've recorded, or your... Winter solstice Yule. My Yule celebration, yeah. Um, well, we lit our Yule fire as we do every year. Since there's no seeing of people this year, it was pretty much just me and my partner. And then after Christmas, I get my son, so it's us until just past New Year's. And every New Year, we have a celebration where we watch Ghostbusters 2 and time it, where Bill Murray says, Happy New Year, as soon as it, the clock ticks midnight. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched Ghostbusters 2 in a while. Maybe I will watch that this New Year's Eve because I will be, unfortunately, alone on New Year's Eve. Oh. Uh, we should do a, why don't we do a Zoom party watch, and watch Ghostbusters 2 together? I'm not sure. I might be too drunk. Oh, okay. And you can find us on Twitter at ChristySAB at ElegantlyKiki. And, of course, we have our Facebook page, The Dead TV Podcast. And we're in, I'm in a couple of War of the Worlds groups. I don't know if Mr. Zeneca's in those War of the Worlds groups. I might be. Okay. 
And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thank you, everyone. Have a happy new year. We'll be back in two weeks with more episodes of War of the Worlds, the TV series. Happy new year.